Hi, Randy Alvarez. Welcome to the Randy Alvarez podcast, and where we're giving you the medical lowdown. Uh, with us, we have uh, a neurosurgeon, and he's known all over the world. I've interviewed him on our regular show. And with what I learned, I even told him, I said, we should have a press conference with what you just told me. It was mind blowing. So if you have a bad back, if you've been told you need fusion spine surgery, you've got to hear what Dr. Hamid Abbas, he's a medical doctor with big credentials, PhD in computer science, I think in Germany. I mean, the list goes on. Uh, Dr. Abbasi, welcome to our podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me back, Randy. It's always a pleasure. Okay, good. We're going to get it. You know, I, I, you know, with this uh, podcast, this is one of our newer episodes. We want it to be conversational, kind of give everybody like the inside scoop of what's going on. And when I was talking to you, I remember saying, I wish I could have recorded this because this is really amazing. But let's start with one thing. Spine surgery, spinal fusion surgery is, is being done every day. Like today, there are probably with thousands of fusions done across the country, right? And they go in and they cut you open and they put in this hardware and they fuse uh, parts of the spine together. And the, the downtime could be three months, six months, even up to a year, and you're never quite the same. And you told me, you said, Randy, of all those surgeries, almost all of them, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you said it's like almost all of them could have been done through small incisions, not cutting apart the muscles, the back, going in through the stomach, the side, mm -hmm. and the patient actually could walk home the same day, walk out of the hospital. And I think you said that there's less than like 25 guys in the United States doing this. And of those 25, you've trained five of those guys. So let's start. Is that true, what I just said? Well, yeah, absolutely. And now we are up to 30 because since the last visit, we have been training more people. So we are uh, nationally and internationally, people from all over the world are coming to us. As a matter of fact, we are in the process of connecting to a university north of Tokyo in Japan. And they are so eager. They came and visited us last year. And Dr. Fayo came in uh, to uh, north of Tokyo. is so interested to bring this from our place in Minnesota to Japan. So okay, we, good. Are, we are getting hitting more than uh, 30 now. And, but again, that is an active kind of work for us to make that happen. So what do you call yourself, a spine surgeon or a neurosurgeon? And what's the difference? Well, um, a neurosurgeon is somebody who is trained um, to deal with the nerves by definition, neuro. Because I, is it, I always think about brain surgeon as a neurosurgeon. Well, let's put it this way. Most of neurosurgeons actually are treating spinal disease than brain disease because spinal disease are more common. As a matter of fact, for um, every the brain tumor that a neurosurgeon treats, there are probably more than 100 to 150 spinal disease that the neurosurgeon we have to deal with. But we are trained to deal with neurons or nerve cells wherever they are. And uh, the problems of the, the nerves in the spine are more common than the problem of the nerves in the brain. Okay, so, now, <laughs> I remember you told me you told me a real easy way to understand a neurosurgeon. You said, we, in surgeries and things, we move nerves out of the way. Or we keep things from pushing on the nerves that cause pain. Is that kind of? Very well said. Preferably, we move things out of the nerves way so they don't push or damage the nerves. 
that is what we do. We pr protect the nerves because we know um, the, the nerves are the most important tissue in your body. We have to protect them. And many times we push anything that would cause damage to the nerves uh, away. So the nerves are healthy and doing their job, which is practically everything we do is our nerves. We talk, you and okay. I- Okay, let's start. Let's start from the beginning. How does a guy like you, how does anybody become a neurosurgeon? Okay, so you, did you grow up in Germany because you got your PhD in Germany? Tell me a little bit about your bio. Well, actually, I grew up as a child in Iran, in Tehran. And uh, I, even with 17, I went to the university in Iran. But uh, for different reasons, I decided that I cannot grow the way I want to grow in that situation. So I went to Germany. And I did hey, by the way, you said 17. You went to university at 17 years old. Yes, yes. yes. I, finished okay. my, I finished my high school just after I was uh, 16 years old. So then I went to university when I was 17. But then um, I was 18 years old, just about 18 years old, that I finished a year in the university. Then I went to Germany. So I was uh, a little ahead of the time in the high school. But... When I went to Germany, I did an MD, I did a PhD, uh, which took me um, until 1998. How many years was that in school? Well, I did combine, the, you know, in Germany, you go to med school for seven years. I did seven years of MD in Germany. But then from 1993 to 1998, actually for five years, partially overlapping with my med school, I did a PhD and uh, which was in computer science. We developed models on the computer to learn about uh, how we cut the bone in the computers and put them together the proper way. We developed the virtual reality, a 3D model of this, actually the, the hip. That was the idea behind my uh, the PhD. But then that gave me a lot of exposure to computer science. Uh, that was, we literally wrote algorithm to create a model on the computer for surgical improvement of the surgical procedure. And uh, after my med school in 1996, I still was doing my PhD. So I stayed until 1999 in Germany. In that time, I did a residency, half a residency in Germany. But then I went to Stanford and uh, I was part of a research to develop more this kind of computer um, technology to use them in the surgical theater and uh, help this make this technology help the surgeon in the, in the surgery actually. And then um, I did one year of uh, general surgery internship in Dartmouth College in New Hampshire in Hanover. And then, uh, then I started my neurosurgery residence in Texas in Galveston. And I did a full residency there in Galveston. So my education spanned over 23 years before uh, I could do my first surgery all by myself. And that 23, that years, right? that 23 years is after the 12 uh, years of you no know, K-12. And what, what drives a guy like you? So 23 years in school, your mind's got to be playing. I mean, was it because you wanted to change the world? You wanted to help people? You wanted to change back surgery? Like well, what were that, that is, I think, individually for every person is different. For me, learning has been part of my father. My father 
wasn't well educated, but learning for him was the most important thing anybody could do in life. Okay. Uh, and his his impression in my soul has not changed. I'm still learning, and that is the and I not only I learn I learn from teaching people. Just uh, two days ago, we had a we had two surgeons from United States. The month one month ago, we had a surgeon from the, the, the Jordan and another surgeon from uh, United States coming and watching us and learning from us. I learn now from teaching other others. So that is uh, that's kind of uh, my prime directive in my brain to learn every day something new. So those 23 years were just a part of my life. And I don't regret a single year of that. Okay, good. So is your goal also like, for example, we started at the top of the show that fusion surgery, spine fusion, is a, it's happening every single day, thousands of day across the US. And of those, of those thousands of fusion surgeries, you're saying, I think, that it didn't have to be done where you cut open the whole back just so you can see better. You told me this, a surgeon is good as he could see, right? That makes sense. So they had to rip apart the back, tear apart the muscles. I'm exaggerating, maybe, I don't know. No, but I think that's what you said. You gotta cut, cause you told me all this stuff and I go, really? So you cut open all these surgeries, then you have access and see what you're doing. You do the fusion, put in the hardware, then you have to close everything up and then the muscles never heal the same. There's tons of scar tissue. And that's why there's such a downtime. And you're able to go in now, bypassing the muscles, kind of just moving them out of the way, doing your thing. But my question is, and you're able to put in like the hardware, how, do they, how does the hardware fit through these little holes? Yeah, many of my patients ask the same question. So that is a very good question. And as a matter of fact, Randy, Many of my colleagues, my neurosurgeon colleagues, they're asking me the question, how do you do that over a tool that is as thick as a pen? And the answer to that is technology. Look at your, what you're wearing on your hand, that watch. Yeah, that is watch, the, yeah. Yeah, that is watch, you know. The, 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 if you open that watch, the, they have been able to pack the highest technology in that little watch, and that watch does for you something that 10 years ago would have been magic. Yeah. Same today, the technology. The technology let us um, literally do this amazing surgery over smallest kind of uh, a tool that enable us to get the bad disc out, take the pressure off the nerve, and stabilize your spine within a surgery, which I just did that surgery two days ago on a patient in a surgery center and where surgeon from United States came and watched us and we get those testimonials. My patient two hours after the surgery went home after a surgery that has been 29 minutes. Most, not only you, most of my colleagues have difficulty to wrap around their head how we do that surgery um, in that short amount of time and patient is able to go yeah. out of the surgery center. I talked to a guy, I, I, I can't think of his last name, you know who he is, Dr. Sonny, is that right, Dr.? Yeah. Dr. That's Dr. right. Yeah. And you know what he said about you? He called you a mad genius. He goes, do you realize who, the, I mean, I'm paraphrasing slightly. He goes, do you know who this guy is? I learned more about you talking to him than I did by talking to you for a couple of hours uh, on, our, on our interview. 
But he says what takes other guys seven or eight hours, you're doing in 30 minutes. And he says, look, I'm pretty good at this. And he goes, but it takes me about an hour and a half. It takes him 30 minutes. Well, let me tell you something about Dr. Kim. Dr. Kim is one of the most experienced um, scoliosis surgeon. And he's uh, very nice uh, telling what uh, I did. I think what I would call myself is not genius, is a stubborn. And I don't, uh, I don't, uh, okay. I never uh, stop learning and I never give up. And the, the, in the, the fact is the true fact that I'm pride, that I pride myself in and I'm proud of is not that I do a surgery that's seven hours in half an hour, but the fact that now I can teach that to other people that they become better than I am in much, much shorter period of time than it took me become that good, where it took me 400 case to become as good as I was like four years ago. I could pack all the things that uh, I, I learned from that 400 case. Doctors Kim could become in nine months as good as I was after three years. And that is the truth, the fact that, which is not unusual for human experience. Once somebody is stubborn enough to come to America from Spain, his name is uh, Columbus Christ, uh, 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 Christus Columbus, the other people could uh, go there easier, better, with less mistakes, a straighter path. This is the history of human learning process. T tell me this, how many fusions, do you know how, like, how many fusions are done across America? Well, Spinal in fusions? States, in the United States, according to the Medicare data, about a million spinal surgeries are done. Half of them are fusions, so about 500,000 fusions are done in the United States in, uh, every year. Vast majority of them are spinal fusions. So we are so this, hundreds so, of thousands. So of these hundreds of thousands of spinal fusions where they tear, they open up the muscles all because of a better view, right? Yeah. I was watching uh, like Downton Abbey and some of these period pieces from the, from the, from the 1800s and, and, and the 20s and everything was very open. And, and, and I talked to uh, some guys that they pride them, used to pride themselves, is they're a big open surgeon. They're not afraid to open you up so they could have access. And you're saying those days are gone as far as you're concerned. And you're, it, it, you don't need to open them up like that, right? I can talk to you about the general surgeon in my hospital, right, sort of here I practice, who went through the same process with the general surgery. If this happened in general surgery 30 years ago, where they used to open you up, literally, I wish you were joking about that, but you are not. We literally slash open your belly, they used to. Um, your belly? No, well, Why you're, general surgery. you're going in through the stomach? No, 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 I'm talking about general surgeon. 30 years okay, ago, okay. The general surgeon, they would open up your belly, go through your entire intestine to take your gallbladder out. Okay. General surgeon, this colleague of mine who's a general surgeon was explaining to me that they went through a painful process to go from open surgery to minimal invasive surgery. Now, Randy, if you have a problem today, if you go to general surgeon, they put three holes in you, three small holes in you and take your gallbladder out if you need to get that surgery. Those surgeons are not afraid to open you up, but they know it is better not to open you up. No, it's not about the ego of the surgeon. It's about what you need as a patient and what is good for you, what's better for you as a patient. 
I've, I'm not afraid to open somebody's up and slash their back open and fix their spine. I'm trained very well to do that. And I have done thousands of those. But I see those patients of mine that they do, I don't slash open up their back, they get to their life so much faster. They have much, much less risk of infection. As a matter of fact, I haven't taken a single patient back to surgery for infection, whereas after open surgery, three to 5% of the patient has infection and those are horrendous kind of situations. So yes, you're right. We sometimes pride our, ourselves that we can do things that are unimaginable for a regular person to do by opening you up and putting you back together. But what we can as well pride ourselves is that we can put you back on your life with much smaller surgery. As a matter of fact, those small, doing that surgery through a smaller hole it is a much more point of pride because now we can give you the health, the life you deserve without putting you to a year of recovery. Because I get, look, the only reason why anybody would want to get spine surgery is because they are in a lot of pain, yeah. right? So what you do, how does it stack up as far as results? Do they get rid of their pain and even better, less pain? than they no. would with that open procedure? No, obviously, you know, every surgery, in every surgery, we have to cause some tissue damage to get the job done. Like, uh, you know, if any surgery requires us to cut in your skin, cut in your muscle, what I can just tell you by us reducing that cutting part, reducing that uh, blood loss, reducing that trauma that we cause on the way of getting to the problem, we put you on much faster path to regain your life. And the, those differences are tremendous. You're talking about staying in the hospital two hours versus a week. We are talking about going back to your basic previous life within days rather than within months. We are talking about going back to work within weeks rather than within half a year to a year. And the end results may, uh, you know, uh, for uh, some people say, okay, at the end of the day, we have the same results. But, but what I'm able to find with my data, first of all, the end result is not even the same. It's much better with minimal invasive surgery. But as well, all the time you're losing to get to that point is, uh, is, is the, the prime time in your life that you cannot golf, you cannot attend uh, the birthdays of your children, you cannot uh, do things that you love to do. And uh, so the end results, uh, we have good data that is not only you achieve the end result faster, but that end result is even better than open surgery. And it makes sense once you truly see what it takes to do our surgery, what it takes to do open old fashioned surgery. You know, as part of the preparation for this interview or this podcast, you know, I, I was talking to the Dr. Kim and I was asking him and he said, he was the guy that told me, he goes, Randy, I used to pride myself in being the big open surgeon. I would get it. I would get to it. I, he said, I, and I kind of got it out of him. He wasn't really focused on the patient's recovery. He was just focused on getting it done correctly. And he knew that they would be out of pain eventually. And he said he became what you call a convert. So a traditional spine surgeon, which is 99% of them, they're opening you up, 
doing the fusion surgery. He said that he tried this, you call it an OLIF procedure. He tried this new procedure and it didn't work. And he said people got paralyzed. He said, not like, you know, uh, paraplegic or anything like that. They got some numbness in their knee and somebody got numbness in their foot. And they, so he said, I did six patients and half of them got some sort of like a drop foot or whatever that actually ended up resolving. But the point was he just went back to his old ways. And I don't know if that's when he met you, but he says, it took me 50 surgeries with Dr. Abbasi teaching me how to do it. He goes, I, never, I can never go back now. <laughs> and now he's on a crusade to tell everybody else. So if what you're saying is true, okay, you must present at meetings, the big meetings. Does anybody, could, look, I'm not an expert. I mean, could anybody say, you know, this is, he's exaggerating. There's no way he could do a fusion in under 30 minutes. Uh, I mean, are there guys that just don't believe it? Well, um, Randy, I myself didn't believe it. In 2012, when I started learning that I was one of the early adapters, somebody told me that this procedure can be done this way. I said, I don't believe it, but show it. But I didn't stop there. I said, I don't believe it. Show it to me. And so I, this is you talking to another spine surgeon no, who yes. told you about this. Yes. I could do it like in less than an hour or so, and you didn't believe it. I said... I don't believe it, but I'm willing to take off time from my busy practice and I come and see and learn it because if the, what you say is true, I shouldn't be doing my old day surgery anymore. Okay. But I don't believe you, but it is important enough <laughs> for me to come and see it. And I went there and I saw it and I saw it is possible. But it Where was this, by the way? Where were you? I went, I, I was in Super South Dakota at that time in the transition to Minnesota. But then I went to Georgia, to, to Atlanta, Georgia, and I watched a very experienced surgeon doing that surgery. There are two things I watched and I learned. First of all, it is possible, but I knew immediately. It will take more than just going to a, a, to a watching it and coming back and doing it. I knew it will take significant investment on my time on my practice, on my learning process. Now, Randy, you wouldn't put your 12-year-old uh, son driving your car. He's going to crash it. And this is no different. You sit with your son, you sit next to him, you explain it how the things are done, and eventually he'll become a good driver as you are. And so, so, so let's back up for a second. Because you told me something a while back, I think you told me this, that you said when you saw, witnessed this guy doing this, it was like a miracle, like, like you just couldn't even believe it. Yes. And, and you compared it to an, uh, like walking to Los Angeles or walking to New York as opposed to flying there or something like that. Correct, correct. And you know, that experience was for me an eye opener. And I know that for many of the surgeons who come and watch us doing this, it is for them an eye opener. The idea behind the behind the process that you can do that surgery that scheduled and done every day in the United States in five hours, under an hour with much less trauma. It is a truly a game changer kind of idea in the spine uh, surgery. And what I need people know is that this is a common process. This, this is a common surgery. Spine problem is a common, almost everybody knows in their environment, somebody 
who struggles with the spine problem. And tell, tell me this, who does like, like Mayo Clinic, I mean, uh, these uh, MD Anderson, I mean, who's doing these big spine surgeries and is anybody doing it this way? Well, um, almost every university, every place they do spine surgery. Spine surgery is one of the most common performed surgery in the United States. And all these big systems, they do perform spine surgeries, but unfortunately what we do is so new, so revolutionary. Would you say that Mayo is doing it open? Mayo? They're doing their cutting no. the back open? Yes, I get almost every week, every two weeks, one or two patients from this big system that it, some of them, they have scheduled their surgery, but once they learn, and thanks to your job, they learn what other options that they have, they come to us, and then they literally cancel their surgery in this big system, they come to us, and I have testimonials. Well, you remember I told you I didn't believe it? I was still in doubt after I was doing this procedure, start doing this procedure. So for that reason, I gathered my data. I start getting patient testimonials because I knew I didn't believe that. I knew my colleagues won't believe that. So I gathered my data. I got my patient testimonials from 2012. Now I have 1,200 testimonials, many of them online on YouTube, that patient described how we did that surgery, how they got better, how they woke up, the pain was gone, how they could go back within days to their life and so on. Because it was, this was hard to believe, I start gathering the data and getting patient testimonials. And I have right. patient testimonials, people who have been told in Mayo, you have a, you need a two day surgery with two years recovery. We I have a record that we do that surgery in one and a half hour, we send the patient home two days later, and within a month, they're back to their life. I have is, that frust is that frustrating to a guy like you? Like when you, you talk to your 30 colleagues in the world that are doing it this way, do you guys go, man, they just don't get it. They're too lazy to take the training. What is it? Like, what do you guys, when you're talking to each other? You know, medicine is very conservative for a good reason. If you would start doing everything that we hear and so on, it wouldn't be good for the patient. So I'm patient. Okay. I understand there is a legitimacy in gathering data, in gathering you know, evidence to do the right thing for the patient. I think my colleagues are doing, in a way, the right thing. But uh, on the other side, I, I see as well that every day that I don't do my job, which is pushing this agenda forward, somebody's mother is going to get damaged from open surgery. So I think in overall, the doctors doing the right thing and all those doctors, good doctors in the Mayo and other places are doing the right thing by being critical. Okay, yeah, that's so, fair. And you know, looking for evidence, but um, I'm not going to quit giving them the-, the, the But they're all gonna convert to this eventually, or a version of this. As they did in the general surgery, their history of medicine. Okay. Once the critical mass is uh, uh, achieved in a new technology, um, doctors uh, uh, start doing it the new way. And okay. you know what's going to help them to give them motivation to do that? The patient. And you know who is going to bring to the patient to really benefit from that? People like you. So thank you for your job. All right. Well, you know, we're, we're trying to do, do the best we can, but okay. So here's the other thing. Okay. So 
and we, you know, we should mention, because I've talked to you, that you're not like pushing surgery. The bottom line is you got to put them on an anti-inflammatory diet, see a physical therapist, a chiropractor, maybe medication therapy. You're doing cold laser. You're doing everything you can. But when it gets to the point where they need surgery, your thing is then you better look at both your options, the open surgery or this small, tiny incision surgery with only about 30 guys uh, doing it. And the insurance covers this? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if somebody has a PPO in California, they could go somewhere that, where they do it this way. As a matter of fact, you know, now, please go the, the, the other thing I want to mention too, I have a friend that I went to high school with, and I'm not that old, right? <laughs> Same age as me, went, goes to high school with me. He's 100 pounds overweight or 70 pounds overweight. It's, it's like a 50 BMI. I don't know what the BMI numbers are. He was told he needs a fusion, but he's too overweight. With, I guess, that traditional open surgery, there's limitations. With this, you could be a lot more unhealthy and still withstand the surgery. Is that true? Well, absolutely. First of all, regarding the, the doing surgery versus conservative therapy, we have extensive protocols to make sure that the surgery is the last thing our patients are getting. As a matter of fact, many patients who have been already scheduled to get their surgery with other surgeons and stop doing that, they come to us, based on our protocols, they don't even qualify to get the surgery. We put them back on a path of physical therapy, more management and so on. And that happens all day. They are patient with us and we help them. You know, some of them, we can't even avoid the surgery. Some of them, they get the surgery after they go through our protocol, which is the most uh, comprehensive to make sure that surgery is all they need. And then you as well are very truly right about saying that once they need a surgery, we don't only look at minimal invasive because for some people, like we had a young patient contacting us with a tremendous scoliosis, that patient needed the old fashioned surgery. So we said, you know, this is what you need. So minimal invasive is not for everybody, but with our technology, we could assure that more than 90% of the people can benefit of the minimal invasively uh, performed procedure because the, the upsides are tremendous. And now your last uh, thing that you said about the high BMI, meaning people who are uh, bigger and open surgery, not only going to be uh, very dangerous for them, in some cases, it's not even possible because the amount of the damage you need to go through the tissue to get to the spine is so much that some of these patients are told, you need the surgery, but I'm not going to do it for you. You will die of the surgery. I get those patients, and because we, again, we perform the surgery over a tube, over a small pad, we can do the surgery for them that nobody else can do for them. So even if you're really large, yes. 100 pounds overweight, 100 pounds overweight. And we can, we have a study we published and it's in the NIH webpage. We can perform the same safe surgery on somebody who's overweighted and somebody who's not overweighted, whereas no other surgery in the spine can, can have the same kind of profile, safety profile as our surgery has. And, and it makes sense why we can do the same surgery in the same safe way? Because we are creating a thin, very, uh, very narrow path from the skin to the spine. That path is less than half an inch. 
by us being able to do the surgery through that path, it doesn't matter if uh, the path is two inch or eight inch. And so we can perform the same surgery once the tube from the skin to the spine is in place. Okay, now the other thing is, because you this is a podcast, so I can't show the slides really, but you showed me a graph and helped me understand that a traditional fusion surgery could take five up to seven or more hours, sometimes even 15 hours, and that statistically they know that the longer you're under anesthesia and open like that, you can die. So it's much safer to do it if you're doing it under an hour. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, yes, and uh, if you like, I can even share a picture with you. I know you cannot share that, but all these informations are online. People just need to Google us Inspired Spine to be able to see truly all those pictures, all those results. Um, the problem with open surgery is not only that you make a bigger incision, that you're causing damage to the tissue. Damaged tissue bleed. And uh, you know, we have only so much blood in our body. Yes, we can replace it and so on. But then for us to stop that bleeding, we are going to cook your tissue. We have fancy names like bipolar coagulation or bovi or aquamantis. Literally what we do, we put So you have to cauterize it, like heat it up just so you stop the bleeding? Well, so we when you open it. up a big person, you're doing a lot of that. You're kind of burning the insides of their body. And guess Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Then that is, you have to do that because otherwise they, it bleeds. You see it in all these movies that you have a wound, they heat up at something and put it on the wound to cut okay. it and so on. Well, we do it in a controlled fashion when we do our surgery all the time. In our surgery, we don't cook the tissue. We don't cauterize it at all because it's so little damage there that you don't have to cook the tissue or dead, dead, create that tissue to stop the bleeding. And by not doing that, by not cooking the tissue, by not causing lots of bleeding, our body doesn't have so much damage, so much tissue that it has to recover from. And now, I know you guys don't talk in gallons, but how many, on, on a big, I talk in gallons, in, 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 a, in a, like a fairly large person on a five or seven hour surgery, how much blood loss do they get as opposed to when you do your small incision fusion surgery? I can't tell you what is normal, what is considered normal. It's nothing unusual to lose uh, up to half a gallon of blood in open old fashioned surgery, but the average, it averaged between 500 to 1,500 cc um, or milliliter. And in our surgeries, our average blood loss is about 50 cc. So less than one tenth to one twentieth Oh, wow. Open surgery. And that makes tremendous difference, especially in people that have like other problems, like all elderly patients with heart problems. That makes a huge difference, especially in people that have already other medical problems. Yeah, because I guess if you look, if you're in your 60s or 70s and, and you have bad back, you don't exercise, you're in pain, you're on medications, you're probably not eating right, you're not sleeping right, not sleeping very well, you're an unhealthy person. Maybe you have a little bit of diabetes, you're on nine medications. So to be on that table for six or seven, eight hours opened up and they're cutting your muscles so you don't heal as good as a healthy person. So that's why I told you, I have a friend, another friend, he's a, in fact, he's built like me, he's kind of lean, he plays tennis, he hikes, 
He was hiking one week and getting a fusion the next week where they went in to reset his side and his stomach. And that was more than a year ago. And he's still in pain and he's still recovering. They told him one to two years. Is this like common? You know, unfortunately, every word you said reflects the reality of spine surgery in 2020. We are in the process. More and more surgeons, especially younger surgeons, they understand the value of doing it minimally invasive and causing less damage to get the job done. Um, but uh, it, it, unfortunately, uh, your friend didn't go through uh, a very common experience. And it takes, uh, uh, it takes probably another five to 10 years because before um, that minimal invasive spine surgery becomes the majority of the surgery performed in the spine in the United States. Um, having said that, having said that, not uh, every surgery can be done minimal invasively, but I'm very confident. But most, most can. Most, yeah. Most yeah. spinal fusion surgeries can be done this way, right? I would say probably more than 90% of them can be performed minimal invasively with much, much less trauma and much faster recovery to the patient. Okay, I want people to go to the website to look at this photo if you can't see it. Could you show the difference in how it looks, the open surgery versus the other surgery? And I, and I gotta tell you, I was at the gym this morning and I was thinking if you cut my bicep and detached it, mm -hmm. right? If you detach my bicep and my tricep and then you put it back together, it probably would never look or feel the same. Is that kind of the way it is when you cut all these muscles in your back? It's just never the same? Well, it is even worse than when you cut your biceps and so on, because whoever does the surgery on your biceps will reattach it. In the spine, you do not reattach those hundreds of muscles around your spine. They're just really? in the air and they turn into, into scar. It is, imagine that you have an elbow problem and somebody goes and cuts your biceps and then he just doesn't attach it back. Your elbow will be rendered useless to you. Is that right? And that is what we do. But don't all the muscles around the spine work as like a girdle to help you move and play tennis? And Yes, yes, they do. And they are unfortunate, you know, through, this is a secret, one of the secrets of the spine surgery that we don't ever reattach those muscles in the open old-fashioned surgery. And the difference is that my patient go home three hours after the surgery and after open surgery, they go home a few days after the surgery and it takes them half a year to be able to do basic things, but they never get where they were. Where they yeah, my guy had this, my guy had my friend, Robert, mm -hmm. in Orange County, he had to sleep sitting up for six months. Yeah. I, would, that I, not be, would that not be the case if he had a surgery like yours, if he was a candidate? Well, our patient go back to the previous life. I have patients that go to the farming and the farmers are the hardest working people I know. And I have lots of farmers here in Minnesota. I have farmers that within weeks, they go back to their hard farming job. Or, um, I had a patient that went back after a three level spinal fusion, he went back to work after four days. And that is unheard of after spine surgery. I mean, okay. look wow. at the picture that what this- Yeah, what are we looking at? What is this? On the, on the left, you see an open old-fashioned surgery where all the muscles are caught, everything is detached. Those muscles are never going to be reattached and they are never going to be 
functional anymore. Whereas on the left, you see a bunch of tubes coming out of the skin. And those tubes literally are squeezed between the fiber of the spine. And I have other pictures that I can show you. Once you really look at them, those muscles are alive. Those muscles are doing their job. Those muscles are giving blood to the bone and may help them heal. It's not only about the, what happens on the skin level. It's actually under the skin. Um, after open surgery, you have a graveyard. Whereas after by, surgery, by the way, don't, don't the muscles keep you stable? Like when I work with my personal trainer, they're talking about your core and keeping you stable. Doesn't that give you instability for almost the rest of your life? If you do it the old-fashioned way? You got it, Randy. That is exactly what the muscles are supposed to do. Keep you moving, keep you stable, give you um, stability and you know, function in your everywhere they are, including your spine. The problem with the spine is that we didn't have the technology to do better. Now we do. The, so, by the way, what's the rate of you training new guys to do this? It used to be once a year. Now it is every two weeks. Every two weeks you're training people to do it. Um, what are the other benefits besides less blood loss, less downtime, less pain overall? I mean, uh, I guess they come into surgery already in excruciating pain. They did the surgery to get out of the pain, but now they got to deal with the healing pain for six months to a year. Correct. So I don't see any benefit uh, only in those unique cases where the open would be the way to go. Well, the benefit of the open surgery in certain cases is that you know, once the problem moves beyond the reach of minimal invasive procedure, like like in, car accident victims or no even many of those we can do minimal invasively but or, or like deformities uh, of the spine those you know, those cases that uh, even many of the deformity cases see this is one of the one of the things we did from 2012 to 2020 we expanded what we can do with minimal invasive surgery and this is the ongoing process i'm hoping if i'm successful with help of some of my colleagues, in 2025, we can do 95% of these procedures minimally invasively. And in 2030, in 2030, we can do all of them minimally invasively. This is a target, moving target. You are absolutely right. For the same process, if you can do it minimally invasively versus open, there is lots of advantages of doing it minimally invasively, and there's no advantage of doing it open old-fashioned way. And we are moving the envelope further and further with our colleagues, with the, with the surgeon, with the technologists, with the engineers. We are putting a system together. That's why we call it Inspired, where I'm sitting right now, we call it Inspired Spine Campus. Combining the, all the expertise of the surgeons and medical professionals, engineers, and all the people, pain specialists, chiropractors, we bring all the expertise together to push the envelope forward and forward to be able to, in hopefully in uh, the 10, 15 years, to be there where general surgeons are already there. They do small incision almost in most of their cases, and we will be there uh, in 10 or 15 years, hopefully. And uh, so Medicare, Medicaid, those things cover this type of surgery? Absolutely, absolutely. 
So it's just a matter of people don't know that this is available. That's why I feel like I told you, I said, you should be on like the Dr. Oz show. You shouldn't be on the wellness hour that nobody's ever heard of. You should be on the Dr. Oz show. If you told him, look, of the 500,000 of these spinal surgeries, 90% of them could have been done where the patient would walk out of the hospital. Well, Randy, you have a point, and I think more important is that you let the patient know their choices. And you have to be realistic to our patient. And the, the, the fact is people who understand truly the data, they, um, they, understand, they, are, they understand how important it is to give our patient these choices. The story that I share with many people, we went in Minnesota, to the Blue Cross Blue Shield and we gave them, we gave them our data. We presented to them how the patient do before and after our surgery versus open old fashioned surgery. One of the major vice president in Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota, he put a stop to the surgery of his mother-in-law that was scheduled to be done a week after that. And he said, he, told his mother-in-law, no, stop, don't go for that surgery. Go to Inspired Spine. And when she came to us, we put her through our protocol and we, she didn't even qualify for the surgery right away. We put her through more Inspired Spine protocols and so on. But unfortunately, she failed conservative therapy. We did the surgery, we have, we have put testimonials out there how much she did better after our surgery than she was told she would be after open surgery. So, and this is a person by definition knows treatments, knows data. Once we show our data to people who understand that, they understand that this should be the way surgeries are done and the old fashioned way are, they have to go. They okay, now we, when we talk about this show, this podcast being like the inside scoop, the medical lowdown. So is it just about money? That means that if, if you're a big teaching hospital, whatever, and you have to send your valuable surgeons that make money for the hospital, generate money for the hospital, you have to send them out and they've got to like do 40 or 50 of these live surgeries over six, seven, eight months or a year or two years just to get proficient in, in order to even start doing it. Is it just too expensive to send all your surgeons to learn how to do this? I mean, because what's the holdup? Give me, give me that inside scoop. The holdup is the knowledge of the, our patient. Our patient, they don't know this. they have this choice. Like, uh, you know, imagine you're in a situation that you think, like, Diet Coke is all you get. You don't know of all the other healthier choices or other um, more uh, beneficial to you choices you have. You think, uh, fast food is all you got. Okay. If you don't know of what other choices you have, you will just have the choices available to you. I, I think that what the whole so, so, so once the patients all know about this, the demand starts. And then they start calling Mayo. They start calling, are you guys doing this small incision, non-open? Is it? Is this is what yes. drives change? As a matter the of fact, you know, Part of our protocol is we encourage strongly our patient to get a second opinion. I have not lost a single patient by my encouraging my patient to get a second opinion because once they go and see what the alternatives are, they're most uh, appreciative of our surgery. Let me ask you a question. So, so let's say I'm of the belief that 
you know, medical doctors and spine surgeons, they went into this for the right reasons. You know, they want to help people. They want to make a difference, right? But is, are they just like you, the majority, like you were, what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? How long ago was that when you first heard about this and didn't believe oh, it? Oh, about eight years ago. Okay, eight years ago. That's not a long time. No. So there's guys today that, let's say, could listen to this podcast, and they'll go, I don't know. I don't believe it. I don't believe you can do three, blah, you know, or this. It, I just don't believe it. it. Is that, does that go on? Well, they just don't. I, I was that person eight years ago. I think the only difference between me and many of them was that, you know, I thought that if there is even, if that can be true, I have to learn it. I have to uh, provide it to my patient. I know I'm busy. I know that will take, you know, the, 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 I have to stop. I have to take, take days off and so on. But you know what? Maybe I don't go to vacation this time. I go and learn this. And I think uh, our surgeons are like that. They, they, they truly believe that uh, once they truly believe, many of our surgeons, they don't even know of this procedure. Okay, and many of the patients- I mean, but they all go to meetings. How, how could they not know about this procedure? Because it's so- They really don't know? Randy, this is such a new process. I mean, a board-certified <laughs> orthopedic surgeon, a board-certified spine surgeon, or whatever the board certification is, you're saying they go, I haven't really heard of this type of OLIF. Well, it, 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 you would be surprised how, um, you know, like um, you see many new technologies and so on that they catch up, they go viral, and all of a sudden people start to know about that and so on. We are exactly in that crucial moment in time that people, patients, the true beneficiary of this process are about to know more and more about that. Once they start putting pressure on their providers, on their surgeons, that is going to give the surgeon to go and take time to first know about it. But then that's not enough. We want them to be skeptical. We want them to come and look at us. We want them to be the Truly, the, the, the good surgeon, meaning have a skeptical eye, look at the data, look at the patient. Um, uh, but once people have looked at truly at our data, um, we are very comfortable that uh, they can know, like Dr. Kim. He, it took him four years or three and a half years to come back and look at the data. He looked at the, because he was in practice with me, you look at the data. That's the spine surgeon that I spoke to that said he used to pride himself on being the big open surgeon. Yes, yes. He, and he, he, he was patient. He looked at the data. He convinced himself that it's worth to take time off, practice with us, do those surgeries. And he got better and better. And uh, it is a big investment, Randy. This is, you, uh, you, you said he's a convert. And that's your goal is to make these guys converts. What does yes. that mean? That means that means the, the, uh, making them from people who are skeptical have a healthy skepticism to people who say, I don't even believe that um, I didn't jump on it uh, five years ago. I don't even believe right. I did that kind of open the damaging surgery for so many of my patients. I, I, and I, I could have done a better job, and uh, okay. and that is my goal. That is my goal to make the people who are skeptical, 
based with data with the results. So, 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 so if I'm in San Diego, mm -hmm. are there any guys in San Diego doing this? No, nope. California. Not so, so if I have, so I guess I have a PPO. But if if I had to find somebody, do they call Inspired Spine get a referral from somebody? Well, you know, I know that you know there are nobody, uh, to my best knowledge, in San San Diego area performing our OLIF the way we we do it here. And uh, but uh, but I think you know uh, in the United States anybody can come to us. We have even a referral program online that literally people can like you and I. You know, the, the, uh, the COVID was a horrible thing, but it opened up the medical community and the patient to teleconsultation and the, to and to provide this care over the phone and the internet that sort of enabled us to provide some of the medical care um, even online. So we provide this care in the entire United States. We have lots of partners. We are expanding nationally. And lots of good things are happening. But if somebody in the San Diego has the problem, we will be able to provide the, many of the cares uh, uh, nationally. As a matter of fact, there's not a week people don't fly to us to get the care. But our goal is train the surgeon locally that people, so, that surgeon can provide this care to patients locally. If, if everything goes well, uh, somebody has this done, the fusion, how soon before they can get up on a plane and fly home? How, how soon before they can sit upright in a plane, cramped, and go home? Well, you know, I think the problem is not the, you know, the, the flying itself, but the, the many of us when we travel, we have to have luggage, luggage and so on. I think yeah, okay. properly, I did this surgery again two days ago on a patient from Idaho. That patient is uh, in our medical facility, in a, which is like a high-scale hotel. And that patient, we looked at him. He's doing fantastic. He just gave us a testimonial that we are going to put online. I think that patient will be able to go home tomorrow, which is just two, three days after the surgery. So... It, the problem is not the travel itself. The problem is doing every doing the thing the right way. Like don't try to carry your 50 pound kind of luggage and put it on the, on the belt. So, the so, so when you go in through these small tubes in the back, right? Instead of just opening the whole thing up, cutting the muscles, also the surgeon could see what he's doing. They have the little suction there, I'm guessing. So you could see the bone. You could see what you're doing, right? So when you're going through this, you're looking at what? Like a, what do they call it? Laparoscopic? I mean, what are you looking at? What are the, what are the scope? I mean, what, what vision? Are you doing it like on a joystick? No, actually I do it with my hand. And my hand, and there's, a, a, there's something I say, I'm a person who did new technology with the computer, with the robot, with the neural navigation, with all the things. But something I say to all my friends and the colleagues and, a patient is that the best computer in the planet is between my ears and the best robot on the planet is attached to sh surgeon's shoulder. So, but are, you're looking at a screen though? Yes, I, I'm looking at the screen with the, what we call a fluoroscope or CON. It's a machine okay. that gives us a view of inside of the patient on the screen with x-rays. Is it virtually the, bloodless or very little blood? Like when you're in there? It is so bloodless that we have to weigh the weight of the sponges we use. We, we put some sponges on the field. We weigh the sponges before and after, 
to find out how much blood we have lost. You don't so you have, in, you have instruments that are able to turn screws and all that. You have to learn how to turn screws through these tubes yeah. on some sort, really. Yes, that is, that is the high level of the technology. It's almost, I, it's hard. That's why it's hard even for some of our colleagues to wrap their Is that up. the hardest thing to learn? No, I think um, that what I think is hard is that my son is on a, on a I played um, one of these games with my son. It's called, I think, Grand Theft Auto or something like that. And yeah. he beat me in two minutes. He would beat me or another game. I thought it's so hard to maneuver in that virtual world with the joystick and so on. But he has done it so often that in every time in under a minute, he would beat me in the game. And I would understand, I wouldn't understand why he does it. How is it? He seems too good at that joystick. But because he's playing it day and night, you know, my 12-year-old son is playing that Game Boy thing or day and night that PlayStation, he's so good at it because he's doing it so often. So uh, you you get to a point where your hands are, your brain is talking to your hands. You don't even have to think about what you're doing almost. That is exactly what it is. The same way my son got good at the, the Grand Theft Auto or one of these game things on the computer, I'm doing this surgery on people. And by doing it again and again and again, we get so good at that, that I say, surgeon doesn't do surgery. Surgery does the sur surgeon. We, we don't perform the surgery. Surgery performed us. And we okay. sort of, it is like it becomes a second nature to our hands, to our brain. It becomes like a reflect. And that is where we become really good at it. Now, now, we, we got, we're short on time on this podcast, but every I've talked to about, I know about three people. My, my neighbor across the street had, had a fusion. I know somebody else with a fusion. I have a friend with a fusion. And all of them say, no, my case was different. And these were kind of healthy people. No, my case was different. I don't think you could do this. And I don't think you could. And of course, I didn't know. I couldn't defend it. So can you help people? Because everybody listening to this, I bet they're thinking what my friend thinks. Uh, I think what's wrong with me could not be handled this way. Could you tell me what type of, I guess, the diagnosis that somebody would get? Like what falls under the type of spine fusion you can do with this surgery? Well, What type of back pain? And also cervical, I got, you know, I mean, tell me. Well, I'm a trained neurosurgeon, meaning that I'm completely trained to do all kinds of brain and spine procedures, open and minimal invasive way. And my answer to people who say, you know, my situation is different, get to know your options. Let somebody explain it to you. As a matter of fact, let five surgeons explain your situation to you and understand your situation. Then you know, you don't have to guess. You know if the minimal invasive way is an option for you. But if minimal invasive way is an option for you, if it is an option to you, you should not choose open surgery because that's put you okay. on a longer path. Now, but see, but, but the challenge, just to get the diagnosis or to find out your options, you gotta find one of these 30 guys that are doing it. So you actually have to get on a plane sometimes just to get a consultation. Is that correct? Well, you can have the consultation online, but Randy, oh, okay. If if the choice is that I get filled open in my back, or 
um, I have a two years recovery versus I get a, one of the minimal invasive surgery and I can go back to my life in two weeks. Um, flying somewhere to get your care is uh, very acceptable. If the alternative to that is your back look like a fillet fish or fillet, uh, you know, the, the, the spine that never will regain its function back properly. This is these are important decisions to make. This is uh, the, the regard. This is regarding what you can do in your life. What what kind of recovery you will have? What kind of uh, future your spine and your health as general will have? I think by, by, by the way, enough to get information. You say that if if you're the age of sixty five. What percentage of 65-year-olds have back pain? Well, these are result of long studies. By the time you are 50 years old, if you never had spine problem, you are among 37% of the population or 31% of the population. By the time you are 60 years old, if you have never had spine problem, you are among 7%, meaning that 93% of the people have spine problem by that time. By the time you're 70 years old, if you have never had spine problem, you're among one to 2% of the population, meaning 98% of the people by the time they are 70 years old have spine problem. And by the time you are 50 years old, there is a more than 70% chance that you have a spine problem. By the time you are 60 years old, you are a 93% chance that you have a spine problem. By the time you are 70 years old, you have a 98% chance that you have a spine. So only 2% of the people that are 70 years old don't have back pain or back yeah. problems. And the part that we are trying to, people understand, this is a common problem. And you have three people just in your environment having spine problem. Yeah, and yeah. Almost, it's impossible not to know somebody who has spine problem. Our goal is to help vast majority of them without the surgery, and we are successful to do so. But percentually, once you get older, it's more likely that you have a problem in the spine that okay. requires surgery. I had a guy on my show, and I can't, I know his last name, starts with an M. I won't mention his name. But about 10 years ago, he was on my show. And he convinced me that fusions should never happen. Never. He said, I refuse to fuse. And I think he was a, he's an orthopedic surgeon. It's Dr. Mork. He was on you know, public information, and he said, I refuse to fuse. He said, the problem is, and he brought a big spine. Let's say this is the spine. You got, uh, 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 for people who are listening to this on a podcast, you know what a spine looks like. If you, if you fuse the middle, he says, and you're fusing the discs, is that what you're doing? Right. Okay. You're making, he said, the problem is above and below gets uneven wear. You're setting people up for failure. So... Was I hearing his statement out of context? No, Do you you are, he was right about the open old-fashioned surgery is very damaging. You know, okay. that technique didn't exist 10 years ago. Okay, okay, that, okay, that makes sense. So he's talking about this, the fusion of the past. So yes. he probably couldn't say that. But, but isn't that still true? Even with this, even with this small incision, you're still with, with, with metal pieces or titanium you're fusing, you know, two or three of those together, aren't you weakening? Aren't you causing a little bit of a problem with the upper? If you remember the picture that you and I, we looked at that spine was filleted open and all the muscles were detached and destroyed. 
that definitely weakens your spine. It is very conceivable that a weakened spine will act unfavorably and uh, have more problem in the future. But by us not destroying those muscles and keeping in place, we are significantly reducing the chance of that spine having problem in the future. And our data as well support that, that um, our patients have much less spine problem compared to open old-fashioned surgery. But discussing that, you know, the, the options for the patient, telling them what is the future of open for surgery versus minimal invasive surgery, and then putting for them the option on the table so they can choose among the options for themselves. This is what we do. This is we, for some patients, you know, I tell to all my patients, if the pain is not too bad, you should not get any surgery at all. If you can fix your problem without the fusion, just with, you know, doing a small incision, sometimes we do that. Fusion is not all what we do. And yeah. pain is not all what we do. We tailor the treatment to what patient needs. And in that, we give our patients options. So not, I mean, it could be a long-acting medication. It could be something else because you guys have protocols. Yes. It's not just all about surgery, but if you're going to get spine. Now, now, here's the other thing. It's, the whole world knows spine surgery is bad. It's like, oh, my God, please no spine surgery, no spine surgery. Then somebody one day, you're in an office, and the doctor says, we're going to have to give you spinal fusion. Would you say that, look, there's 500,000 of these being done every year. Would you say there's probably a million people that are suffering in pain that don't have to be just because they don't want fusion surgery? I, I would say there are significant amount of number of people who are losing their valuable life and they are lose on their family life. They lose on their things that they like to do because they are scared of the open surgery and they are scared of open surgery for a good reason. They see their families, their neighbor, their parents that go through a surgery that uh, put them in tremendous amount of suffering, pain, recovery, bad results. And, uh, and I, can, I can say that, um, again, to, we have to just be um, realistic to our patients, okay. give them the options, present the data to them. But I have many patients, and that's one of the standard of questions I ask in my testimonials. And I have hundreds of those online on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I saw them. Yeah, I some of them. them. I asked them, I asked the patient, if you knew what you have now, would you wait 15 years before you get it fixed? They said, no way. No way I would wait 10 or 15 years as I did. I would get it fixed right away if I look, knew this is and, and you know, look, being in pain is a tough thing. I've only it's only happened to me. I had a little sciatica, it went away. But for that six months. I wasn't in a good mood. I couldn't watch TV. I remember my uh, wife was telling me, I'm kind of sick of hearing your sciatica. I remember going, it's not very nice, but you're just impatient. You're not in the mood. And so if you could take that pain away, it's like your life is fresh again. It's people, new. People get divorced. People lose their job. People lose their entire family because of this. This is no trivial thing. Brandy. This is uh, people who, uh, pair of people, love uh, people who love each other. They get tired of this. They grew apart. They, uh, I cannot tell you how many cases I know that the people over the years, 
that, that it put them to a true test and did many relationships break on this. So this you know, is a you, thing. You know, we know, look, any surgery, whenever your body has to heal something, broken leg, broken arm, big open surgery, it compromises your immune system. And in light of COVID, the last thing you want is to be in a hospital having surgery for five hours and then being there for another week. And then now you're left for six months with a compromised immune system. It's, it's not something you want to do. I mean, if you can do this closed method, this minimally invasive method, it sounds, I mean, logically to me, I'm not a doctor, but it sounds like I would do it. I'm, I'm kind of sold. One more thing. There was this, you know, those commercials, the spine centers of America, no, no, what are they, laser spine Institute. I, when I first met you on the phone, I thought that's what we were talking about. Can you show that little bandaid on your back when you leave the hospital? That, that's different, right? That's a whole different procedure. That's not fusion. You told me. That is Laser Spine Institute, which is out of business. Um, uh, about, about a year ago, they went out of business and they closed shop. Um, was unfortunately mostly a marketing thing. And, you know, right, right, but what was the procedure itself? Because they showed you walking out with a Band-Aid. The, the procedure that they did, every neurosurgeon in the United States is providing that procedure everywhere. And we don't really use the laser for that procedure because the idea of laser was instead of biting the piece of tissue out, vaporizing and sucking it out, believe it or not, and, but this is the fact. We tried it in 1970s and 80s and the result wasn't good. So nobody, we tried that. It didn't work and we stopped doing that. And uh, even I talked to some surgeon in the Laser Spine Institute, they said, you know, we don't really use lasers. It's just the name of the, the entity, but we don't really- It gets people it. in the door because it sounds like it's minimally invasive and low- yeah. But you know, look, you got, look for, for a dental procedure, if you're having veneers done and they do IV sedation, you're out for a couple, you know, four hours, three hours, they tell me, uh, hip replacements. You're, this, you're doing it in about 30 minutes. This is like the future of this will be routine. Oh, I'm going in for a fusion today. Oh, you're a fusion? I got mine two weeks ago. <laughs> right? I mean, do you think that's where it's going to be? Like, oh, you know, I've tried everything. I've exhausted. I'm going to go get a fusion. Randy? When are you going to be back to work? Well, I got to take the weekend off. Randy, the indication is, and I hope, that you and I are going to be 110, 120 years old. No spine will last so long. Like, our teeth, without proper care, will not last as old as we are. The only reason we still have our keeping our teeth, we are having maintenance. We have plumbing put in them and so on. It sort of advances the, um, the utility of our teeth. And you're right. The spine, for us to live that long, 110, 120 years, we have to take more mileage of our spine. And that statistic I recited regarding that by the time you're 70 years old, there's only 2% chance that you don't have spine problem. By the time you're 80 and 90, it's even probably less likely that you don't okay. have spine problem. But if you want yep. to get long, we have to walk and you have to have a maintenance kind of care for our spine. And I'm hoping you know, that in 10, 20 years, we can keep 90-year-old people ambulating. We can keep them independent. We have all the data we need to show that by giving them a less invasive surgery, less risky surgery, 
we can do those surgeries on 18, 90 year old people and keep them mobile, keep them independent. What, what's your, you know, the, the big popular term now is biohack, right? You, you know, there's different biohacks, you know, there's things you could do for your hair, stem cells. You're like cheating mother nature. You're able to <laughs> now get your hair. I just had a stem cell treatment where they injected stem cells from cord blood or, or, or from the umbilical cord. And, uh, that's a cheat. So do you think like a 90 year old, because over time your spine just gets a little weak, that this is like scaffolding or some sort of a support, like you would do in an old building where this minimally, I mean, if you could do it in less than 30 minutes on a 95 year old, do you think that'll be the future that some people are doing it just for prevention or for maintenance? Like when you're like, I'm talking about 50 years from now, it's like science fiction. Yeah. No, it is. It is already science fiction. We are already living it. It's that we don't, we don't, call it the preventive, but we call it maintenance. And okay. calling it, you know, the cheating the mother nature, Randy, you're in beautiful San Diego in Corspot, and I'm in Minnesota. Look at that. You're talking. You are cheating the nature. And, you know, and, and, and this is what we do. You know, we make our life better, more uh, uh, fun, more worth living, more ple pleasurable by uh, bringing things that are good in life, extending the, the, the span of life and keeping us still in environment <coughs> that we still can enjoy it in advanced age. And I'm hoping that you and I will have another talk in uh, 40 years when we are uh, over 100 and we talk about uh, uh, about the possibilities, how we can still enjoy the life by yes, cheating the nature. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, a thirty-minute operation to get somebody out of pain. Uh, can you reverse it? Can I mean, what's the maintenance on it? Like, if something goes wrong, can you take it out? Well, most of the time in life, uh, like in many other things, about bringing a technology that you don't have to reverse it, that things don't go wrong, like doing like 1,000 surgery, not a single infection after more than 1,300 cases. It, most of the time, you know, when you get in an airplane, you want to have so much technology, so much expertise okay. in life that you don't have to reverse the airplane and go land it back where you started. What's your legacy, what's your legacy gonna be? And we're, we're, we're out of time here, but what's your legacy? Like, you know, how do you see it as a guy that changed, changed uh, fusion surgery forever? I like my legacy to be the person who ushered this and taught other surgeons to be better than him. I like my legacy to be that this is the technology started that the 80 year old can be independent and does is not depending on his family to live and enjoy the life. And this is the okay. person who helped us to make a 90-year-old person enjoying his life playing golf up uh, to to end of the road that is going to uh, be for us, for all of us. Um, that, and I, my, I like my legacy to be that uh, um, my family tell me that, you know, it was worth the, all the work you put there and, uh, and they, they enabled other people to have a good life. Well, good. You know what? I mean, that's a great, I got to ask you this one last question. My brain, when I see these guys hunched over, you know, they're walking 70 and they're, they're, they're really hunched. Right. And I feel like they're stuck that way. Right. Is there anything you guys could do for that? 
there are many things we can do for them and to help them not only bringing the hunch back up, but give them a quality of life. But there is even more important things we can do. We can go back in, in time or literally prevent those 50 and 60 years old to become the hunchback people from 20 years because now all of a sudden we reduce the risk of that surgery. That person who's hunchback and suffering maybe had a surgery offered to them 20 years ago, but the surgery was so damaging, so horrible. So, so could you take a, could you look, I know a 92 year old, right? And this 92 year old is in, is in world-class shape and he is so far down, eats right, tries to walk. That's a guy you could fix to be straight back up again if he's super, I mean, it's a super healthy 92 year old. I have done this surgery on 95 year old people successfully. Really? Because open surgery, which would be literally deadly to that age group, and no 95-year-old no person will be uh, offered a, a spinal fusion. So, so this is minimally invasive? This would be a fusion surgery, minimally invasive for a guy like that? I, I have done this surgery plenty of time over for patients who are over 90 years old. Obviously, we put them to our protocol. We try to help them without the surgery. We put them through a medical clearance that makes sure the surgery is safe for them. But the surgery that happened now it has a different safety requirement at medical clearance than a surgery that okay. eight hours. A surgery that has 20 cc of blood loss. My surgery that I did on that patient two days ago, we lost 13 cc of blood. That is like one-tenth of the cough of a coffee, a coffee you get, less than one-tenth of the cup of coffee you get. A cup of coffee is 250 cc. We lost 13 cc of blood in that surgery, a spoonful. A 90-year-old person can't tolerate that. See, see and, and if you're a 90-year-old person, let's face it. I mean, he's a 92-year-old guy. So he probably was told 20 years ago, can't be, it, it's a very dangerous surgery. And then another doctor told him dangerous surgery. Another doc, and then he, so he's closed his mind to any, any opportunity. So he probably, even if I tried to tell him, I got a buddy or I got a guy that I interviewed, he would say, no, I've already looked into it. It can't be done. That's the challenge, right? Your friend was told 20 years ago, this is a very risky surgery 20 years ago. 10 years ago, he was told that this is impossible surgery for you. You will be dead. Five years ago, he was probably said, you know, this is all you have. You have to live with it. Right. And now we are telling everybody, look into your options. Okay. something that was science fiction 20 years ago, 10 years ago, is reality today. And we have a okay, good. to show it. So I, I know you have a lot of videos and we're done with this podcast, but uh, if somebody wants, how do they find more about you? Go online, Inspired Spine. We are all over. And they, can, the and they can watch your videos and things like that. And for those of you listening to this podcast, if you go to our Instagram or you go to our podcast website, you can sign up for our newsletter to get all the inside scoop on these medical interviews that you like. So uh, all you need is give us your email address and we'll, we'll put you on our list. So Dr. Basti, I want to thank you for coming on uh, the podcast. Well, um, all right. it has been a great pleasure to be here and uh, give the information 
to broader public. 